0: Hello, and welcome to another room. I am Jason, the creator and sound engineer of the Grey Rooms podcast. Before we deliver you unto the hands of evil, I would first like to thank those who financially support this podcast. We do release this for all to hear for free, but it costs quite a bit to create. And if you would like to find out more about how to support this podcast in this way, Pop on over to patreon.com forward slash the Grey Rooms and give it a look. Extras, merch, and early releases galore. So, without further ado, please join me in thanking these, our patrons, for helping us to continue to create at the highest level we could possibly hope to. This episode and the Grey Rooms are brought to you by Kathleen Clyde, Amy Nikolai, Arthur Unk, Austin Furman, Brooks Bigley, Kaylee Tolls, Elizabeth Dowell, Jason Porus, Kelly Bear, Mary Wynn Michael Velez, Patrick Stewart, Sergio Saucido, Adam, Alexei Gladilovich, Charlotte Norup, Jim Powell, Joseph Holliday, Lucas Hibbard, Rael Bruyette, I'm Pretty sure I screwed the last name up. Trigvy Christensen. Ah, because you said I said it right, Trigvy. Thank you. Victoria Wan. Debbie Fur, Hale Scherf. Justin Thulu. Rachel Lamb. Sarah Ruth Thomas. Scotty. Brian Black. J.M. Scherf. John. John Grills. Kelly Fenner. Scott Savino. Stephen. And Subversity Transmit. Thank you again so very much for your support. We really can never thank you enough. Well, maybe just by shutting up and jumping in the episode, right? <laughs> hey, thanks again and enjoy the show. Our stories may contain graphic or sensitive content that may be disturbing to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. You wake on a hard cold floor so cold it burns your skin. The air smells of sulfur and ash. Your head throbs your mouth is dry. You have no idea how you got here. Panic sets in. Fear becomes terror. What have you done? What brought you to this place? It doesn't matter. Because now you belong to The Grey Rooms. Season 1, Episode (sighs) 9 I can do it! I'm doing it! I'm... Dead. Welcome back, Raymond. I felt as if I had awoken from a peaceful dream. That poor little girl. No. That poor woman. To be trapped like that for so long. I struggled to sit up. It felt as if I had been lying there on the floor for ages. Was it my mind still feeling the effects of the door? Or was... Each second I spent trapped in her body, also spent here as as well. Decades. But in the end, she found peace. Raymond,
1: this isn't like you. You're normally complaining about
0: something by now. Are you going to to tell me about... Lucy? Bob?
1: No. She's dead, Raymond. You need to let her go.
0: This sounds just like that, door. What if these rooms are just part of my imagination? What if I just woke up and-
1: You're not Costanza for one thing, Raymond. And you're here to suffer. Fool yourself.
0: Maybe I'm trying to punish myself for. It. You want to know why you can't remember anything, Raymond? Yes, yes, Bob, I I do. Why is this happening? Uh. Well. Tell me, Bob. Please.
1: It's time to choose a door,
0: Raymond. What? No! Bob, you have to tell me!
1: Choose a door or one will be chosen for you.
0: I thought I was so close to getting answers. Bob told me that Lucy was dead. Bob also implied that he knew what was going on when I went through the door. How was he watching me? I wondered if these rooms were clues, if one door was to lead to my torment. Was it game over after that? Were the ones I had been choosing somehow trying to tell me a way to escape this place?
1: Raymond, are you refusing to choose a door?
0: No, Bob, give me a minute. I'm thinking, okay? I've got a lot on my mind.
1: Amazing. You have so much going on in your life
0: right now. Shut up, bup. Fight. I'll pick a damn door. I guess in the end it didn't even matter. Same old doors. Grab the key. Look at the first door. This time, it was purple, and it had an odd, bubble-shaped window that was snugly bolted to it. I peeked into the window to see if I could spot anything, but everything on the other side was black. Okay, no singing, clearly this was safe, but I... Figured I might as well check out the other one as well. I looked at the second door. It looked like a white bedroom door. It had a tall mirror hanging off it. And I could see my reflection. Is Is that what I look like? Are you disappointed? No. I mean, maybe. What what do you think? I'm not interested. That's not what I meant. Wait. I didn't hear the singing voice. I stared at myself in the mirror. I looked so... uh, No, wait. I looked terrified. There was no singing. I walked... Back to the first door with the fancy window. No singing. Something wrong, Raymond. You, you did something. What do you mean I did something? The voice, the woman's voice. You did something to it. It wasn't supposed to be there. What do you mean it wasn't supposed to be there, Bob? That was Lucy, wasn't it? You said she was dead. Jesus Christ, you killed her!
1: No, I didn't kill her, Raymond.
0: She was warning me, wasn't she? She was trying to help, you son of a bitch!
1: Calm down, Raymond. Put the
0: chair down. Or what, Bob? What are you going to do? Kill me? Good. Do it, Bob. Kill me. You sick son of a bitch. I don't give a shit. I'll just wake up right where I started. You watching me, Bob? Huh? Your little buddies watching me? Why don't you make me another birthday cake, Bob? You can put Raymond. I killed your wife, dickhead. I know you killed her. Did you kill my kid too? I will not tell you again. Put down the chair. Calm down. It must be nice wherever you are, Bob. You're probably sitting there watching me with a cup of coffee laughing your ass off. Well, listen to me, buddy. I'm not going to calm down. I want out of here Bob, I want my wife, I want my kid, I want out! I don't want to be part of your sick games asshole! I'm going to expose you all for whatever the hell you're-
1: that if a prisoner is unwilling, or in this case, unable to choose a door, one will be chosen for them. Let it be noted that the Warden will be delivering the prisoner to room 1712, called Summer Child.
2: We keep the interior light out and the radio off. Beside me, Lisa's face, the porcelain death mask in the wane light of the moon, stares through the windscreen. I drum the steering wheel with my fingers. My hands are restless, itchy with anticipation. The pistol, a meager 22 lies on the dashboard.
1: Michael, you ready?
2: She asks, staring at the window across the street, a lamp glowing within. We've watched the family for over an hour, waiting for them to settle. I swallow, as I'll ever be, I guess. We still haven't seen any signs of a mother.
1: You wanna come back tomorrow night? Don't know about you, but I can't wait much longer.
2: Me neither. I grab the gun, check the clip for the thousandth time, and click it back into place.
1: Just like we planned, in and out, a minute at the most, if just one of them has a phone.
2: I slip the weapon into my jacket pocket. Opening the car door, I climb out and turn to Lisa. Just don't come in after me. I have the gun. I don't want any mishaps. Lisa remains, staring through the glass.
1: Just get him. I'll be here
2: nodding, I ease the door closed and head across the street. Inside the house, Mr. Swift, sitting on the worn sofa, holds a loaded plate with one hand while he shovels in the food with the other. From the blue light flickering across his corpulent face and bulbous nose, I guess he's watching a television located in the corner. Greasy stains dot the front of his white vest. Sitting aside him is a girl of around 14 writing in an exercise book. His daughter, Cherry. Cherry. Her tongue pokes from the corner of her mouth in concentration. I rub the gun in my pocket and sample the cold metal. It's a shame about the girl. But it might make things easier. Swift might be a little more cooperative with a barrel at his daughter's head. The road remains empty, and head down, I dash across to the house. Swift is a figurehead in town, running the butcher shop in Delhi. Thankfully, he chooses to live on the outskirts. His lone house standing out in the middle of nowhere. Lots of privacy, no prying eyes. A quick duck beneath a couple of hanging wind chimes and I'm standing on the veranda at the front door. I hear the television now, muffled voices and canned laughter. Mr. Swift laughs, too. We'll see how long that lasts. The gun slides easily from my pocket, and holding it tight in my hand, I use it to tap on the door. Swift mumbles. Inside, footsteps thud toward me, pulsing through the pine porch boards. Pistol raised, I hold my breath and wonder if Lisa is watching me. The door swings open and the shock of the little girl is almost comical. I jab the gun towards her. She still clutches a pencil, which threatens to snap in her clenched fist.
1: Who is it,
2: hon? Her mouth opens to answer him, and I surprise myself by striking fast and hard. I spin her around and clamp my forearm under her chin. As planned, I press the barrel of the pistol against her temple.
1: Cherry, my little brisket?
2: Move nice and slow. I growl into her ear and shove. She obediently shuffles forwards. The lounge room smells of cooked meats and rich, deep fat. The faded wallpaper must be saturated with it. Swift glances from the television and freezes. A fork inches from his mouth. A flap of pale meat hangs from the prongs. I study his multi-layered gut, pocked bald head, the needle-thin ginger mustache. He sweat a glistening sheen from eating. Don't move, I tell the Mountain of Flesh. I'm taking the boy. I see you move and God help me, I'll blow the girl's head off. He shakes his head, jowls wobbling.
1: No, not my boy,
2: a gurgle sounds beside the butcher, and I peer around the sofa. Colorful toy blocks are scattered around the two-year-old. The sun looks up from the floor in wide-eyed wonderment, close enough for Swift to stroke his head with his greasy fingers. I grip the girl even tighter, and she splutters. Just do as I say, and no one will get hurt. Swift drops the fork, and it clatters on the plate. I prod Cherry's head with the barrel. Move one more inch, Swift, and I swear... Pain blasts through my right inner thigh. In a heartbeat, the girl is out of my grasp. Her pencil juts out from a small fresh tear in my pants and the skin beneath hot and wet. Swift jumps from the couch and the plate and its contents tumble to the floor. The gun trembles and jerks in my hand, refusing to stay high and straight. My resolve decays in an instant and I fall to one knee, nursing my thigh. I pluck the pencil free and throw it aside. Gritting my teeth, I look around the room. Fuck, he's quick. The huge man had managed to snatch the toddler and retreat through a curtain doorway behind the couch. I raised the gun, but immediately decide against it, should I hit the boy. Cherry had vanished too. Wincing, I climb to my feet, pressing a hand against the wall. No time to loiter. He could have a phone back there. I try to run, but only manage a staggering limp. My thigh burns like the tip of an iron is pressed into the flesh. The television laughs. I slam into the wall beside the doorway, gun raised. Silence from within. They're either poised and waiting, or they've escaped out the back. I guess the latter. Swift would be gasping like a rampaging bull. I'd hear him. So I crouch, trying to keep my injured leg straight. A glance under the edge of the curtain reveals checkered linoleum clear of feet or shoes. I take a deep breath to steady my nerves and race through, whipping the curtain aside. High wattage strip lights burn the kitchen to a radiant white, and I squint from the harsh glare. A silver glint of metal hurtles through the air. I flinch at the roar that bellows through the kitchen and fall to the side. Swift lurches forward, swinging a cleaver. It punches into the doorframe, the wood splitting. Without slowing, his other hand lashes out, a butcher knife poking out from between his chunky fingers. I level the 22 and squeeze the trigger. Despite all the shooting practice, the blast startles me in the confining kitchen. Swift stops dead. The entry wound blossoms. A messy crimson rosette at the center of his vest. I shoot again. The bullet striking him in the neck. The side of his throat explodes in a geyser, speckling the linoleum and wall. The big man totters backwards from the blast, loses his footing and collapses. His chest pulsates, dragging in heavy breaths that gurgle and rattle. Blood spreads outwards on the floor, joining the dotted islands of gore into a single red pool. I step over the body. The cleaver still juts from the doorframe. The sick bastard had come at me fully armed. Knew you'd do anything to protect the boy, I say to the dying man, but I'll do worse to get him. Aiming the gun at his head, I relish the look on his face while pulling the trigger. The kitchen contains the usual. Refrigerator, microwave, oven, and I give these little attention. What holds me in place is spread over the grand wooden table at the center of the room. The family must have had their own little luau. A full suckling pig lay on a platter, its belly sliced open. That's what Swift was eating with such gusto. Various butcher tools are laying out on the table around the pig carcass, all cleaned to a dazzling finish like a surgeon's workbench. This is how Swift got a hold of the cleaver and knife in seconds. I dash around the table, nearly blinded from the pain in my thigh, to the closed back door and tug at the knob. It refuses to budge and a padlock rattles on a deadbolt. Guessing Swift had sent the kids through and locked the door behind them, I considered shooting off the lock, A deflected bullet might take my face off. No, out there they could be tracked easily. Not a house for miles around. They'll be hiding. I head for the only other door. Spying a staircase within, I creep up the steps. A fly buzzes past my face and zips into my ear. I shoo it away. The air thickens with every fetid step. Raw chicken left in the sun. The rotten flesh and fat create a squalid, choking stench. I've never smelled an actual dead body. The smell clings to the upper floor. I wipe my hands on my jeans and adjust my grip on the pistol. Preparing myself for lampshades made of human skin and a sofa crafted from severed arms, I press on across the hallway. Only three doors lead away from the short corridor. Two on the right, with a final door at the end. Hand across my mouth to filter out the cloying stink, I kick open the first. (laughs) A bathroom. Surprisingly clean and tidy. I wonder how the toilet managed to support the weight of the monstrous Mr. Swift. Moving on. I knock the second door open. The walls and carpet are pink, and a single bed lies beneath the window. The room is fresh with a slight perfumed undertone. Cherry's bedroom. Which leaves the final door at the end. Flies crawl up its flaked surface, lazy in the evening heat. I bet the insects would love to get inside. Now they'll get their chance. Do I want to go in there? I imagine mutilated body parts littering the aged carpet, chunks of fermenting meat hanging from hooks in the ceiling and torsos slowly turning on spits. Swift was a butcher after all. I reaffirm my handle on the gun, sensing more blood will be shed on the other side of this door, and check the clip watch for the boy my fingers linger on the slippery doorknob before i turn it door open i slip inside squinting in the murk she lay naked atop twisted soiled sheets basking in the moonlight cast through an open window her skin appears white sallow vast fashioned from dough and spread across the mattress a road map of stretch marks crisscross her body. We hadn't seen a mother yet, I'd reminded Lisa in the car. Oh, Christ. Hanging flab covers her sex almost to her knees. Her chest at first glance appears flat, but I see her breasts are hanging off each side of the bed, nipples almost kissing the floor. <coughs> I gag from the stench of excrement. It's pooled between her legs, an old dried black cake with fresher offerings accrued on top. Swift hadn't bothered to clean up this week, or month. Plates litter the boards, withered streaks of sauce, blood, and fat staining each. Bones lay in disarray, picked clean. Jesus, I mutter, my arm blocking my nose and mouth. Jesus Christ. The woman moans, sounding more bovine than human. Her piggy eyes dart around in her padded face, and her mouth, covered in what I hope is gravy, hangs open. She moves her rippled, pocked limbs, and I notice they're chained. The sight is reassuring, even though I doubt she can sit up without help. She moans again and sticks out her tongue. Arching her head, she tries to lick the remains of meat that litter her chest and belly. Oh, Fuck. I gasp, bile burning in my throat. A door slams open, the wardrobe. Cherry bursts from the shadows, pouncing across the plates. She screams, a narrow knife and fork in each hand. I raise the pistol, hesitating. She's not the one. The girl slashes with the knife and stabs the fork at my throat, rabid. Her knee finds my screaming thigh and I slip backwards on one of the plates body thumping the dirty, stinking carpet. Cherry stands over me and lifts the fork. I quickly aim the gun, pointing at her chest. I don't wanna do this. Please, don't make me do this. She grins and drives the fork down into her mother. My finger trembles on the trigger, but my legs react quicker. I kick back across the floor through the mess. A spurt of blood shoots from the figure on the bed, the fork embedded in her belly.
1: She's fed all the time, says Cherry. Dad says the best bits are on the bottom cause that's where the fat settles and fat means flavor.
2: She smacks her lips.
1: But the best cuts are long gone. Dad says we should have started her earlier.
2: She plunges the knife in beside the fork and the woman's legs fly upward. The chains hold. I glimpse her back and buttocks, sickened. I see the girl is telling the truth. The woman's meat has been carved out, the remnants left to decay, chunks of thigh leaving flaked blackened gaps. Stop it! I tell the girl, pistol shaking in my hand. She winks at me.
1: I'm not stupid. You've come to take my brother. You won't shoot me because you need to know where he is.
2: She turns for me slightly, and with her mother still, once more, commences to slice a chunk of meat free. What the hell is wrong with you? I scream. Cherry grins and plucks the flesh free with the fork. This starts the woman wailing and snapping her mouth open and shut. It's not the pain, I realize. She's desperate for the meat. Moving the scrap away from the raw, oozing patch, Cherry pops it into her mother's mouth. Fuck! I cry and pull the trigger. The bullet bursts the woman's eye and sprays the rear wall with chunky red matter. The wedge of belly flab drops from between her swollen lips. Cherry stares at her mother for a second, as if to register the carnage before her. Her chin wobbles, and her eyes narrow. No. She screeches. No! Growling, the girl raises the knife. I stretch up and slam the butt of my gun against Cherry's jaw, knocking her head to the side. Her body follows and twists into a fall. She barely has time to moan before I hammer the gun across her head, my stomach rolling as I connect, jarring my wrist. The girl lies still amid the filthy plates. A child gurgles. I gasp and climb to my feet. Limping across the room, I try to avoid glancing at the woman and step over Cherry's unconscious form, the pistol trained to the side of her head. At the open wardrobe, I ease the door wider. The stench is intense with the air warm and moist summer night trapped and condensed more plates of rotten food are stacked and a few extra flies zigzag between spots of putrescence opening the door wider still i see the boy peering out from the back revealing himself from behind the hanging shirts and other garments he voices incoherent babble and waves his arms like flapping wings i reach inside grasp the baby gently under the arms and lift him free He seems unsure at first, but grins. I cradle him to my heaving chest. The boy gives me strength, and the pain in my leg dwindles. I still struggle to walk smoothly, staggering over the motionless body of Cherry. The sound of soft breathing convinces me she's alive, concussions I can live with. I leave the room and head downstairs, rocking the boy in my arms to keep him happy. Swift remains dead on the kitchen floor. His blood has reached the wall and is pooling by the skirting board. I step over him and through the curtain. The television continues to laugh in the lounge room. A figure is standing on the dark veranda by the front door. Michael! She steps into the light. Lisa's eyes widen at the sight of the figure in my arms. James! I told you to stay in the car! I barked, but can't stop myself running to her. The boy becomes sandwiched in our embrace and coos happily. Oh, James! She cries and smothers his head with kisses.
1: I thought they'd hurt you. I was so sure they'd hurt you.
2: Get him in the car, I say. Handing over our son, my fingers sinking into his soft baby fat.
0: Summer Child, written by Daniel Russell. You can follow Daniel on Twitter at Daniel I Russell. Summer Child was performed by Gabe Templin. You can follow Gabe on Twitter at Gabe Templin. Summer Child was also performed by Lindsay Kelly. You can follow Lindsay on Twitter at Lens underscore R underscore Ellie. Linsirelli. Nice. And of course, Graham Rowett. And you can follow Graham on Twitter at Graham NY. The Raymond Scene was written by Brian Black. You can follow Brian on Twitter at Darth Chair. It was performed by by Graham Rowett as Bob and me, Jason Wilson, as Raymond. You can follow me on Twitter at Audio Torment. Audio design and editing was also by me. The score for Summer Child was produced by J.M. Scherf. You can follow J.M. on Twitter at J.M. Scherf Music. Also, feel free to stop by jmsherfmusic.com. Episode artwork by Cassie Pertit. Promotional artwork by Brooks Bigley and Graham Rowett. You can reach out and say hi to Brister IPA drinking Brooks Bigley at Brooks underscore Bigley. Still working on it, Brooks. Promise. I just wanted to thank all of you for taking the time to listen to us. We are nine episodes in to our main season And that is nine episodes of us having the opportunity to get to entertain and to know all of you. Thank you ever so much for your support with your listens and for those of you in our Patreon for your support financially. We could not literally do this without you. Thank you very, very, very much. If you'd like to find out more about The Grey Rooms, stop on by our social media formats. Facebook.com/forward/slash/thegrayroomspod and our Twitter of the same name. We also have an Instagram at instagram.com/forward/slash/thegrayroomspodcast and thegrayrooms.com is also a nice resource, just full of information and pictures, lots and lots of pictures. But the one thing that we're really pushing is our Patreon. We have a Patreon, a patreon.com forward slash the gray Rooms. Now, we do provide this for everybody to listen to for free, but it is not free to make. So if you would like to financially support the podcast for as little as $2 a month, you can go ahead and check out all the nice rewards that you will get, which includes listening to these a week early and extra episodes on top of that. Thanks again ever so much for what you do and what you have done. Nine episodes in to a dream that somebody had that is now an audio nightmare for all of us to enjoy. Wonderful. I appreciate it. I do hope you continue to listen and always reach out to us and let us know what you think. We really like hearing from you. With that being said, we'll see you in two weeks.